Last week, there was a dramatic shift in the book of Acts. You know, all throughout the scriptures from the Old Testament all the way through the Gospels and through where we are in this book, um, the story has, has been about God's interactions with the people of Israel, the family of Abraham, almost exclusively. But last week, Joshua talked about Peter and Cornelius and how the Holy Spirit came uh, uh, to the family of Cornelius, who was a high-ranking, like he's a, he's a Roman, and, and, and his entire family meets Jesus. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and God spoke to Peter very clearly that this was, this was good. This was a good thing. This was indeed his plan. So Peter went back and, and told the other church leaders about this, and, and here's, here's what they said uh, in, in Acts eleven eighteen. It says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. I love that. They're like, it was like a Keanu Reeves moment. Whoa. You know, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's a really important moment, not only in the scriptures, but for us, because I'm sure with only, we have a handful of exceptions, but most of us here are Gentiles. We are not Jewish. We wouldn't have been included in the promise if not for what happened there. We've been, we've been grafted in. God made it very clear that we are now a part of this promise if we're in Christ. This was a big moment. You remember before we said that the, the book of Acts was broken down into three parts, Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria. Jerusalem, like basically first seven chapters or so. Uh, Jerusalem and Samaria, eight through sort of where we are today, like 11-ish, and then the rest of the ends of the earth um, from, from 11 on. Um, that's that's kind of where we are. We're in this transition point here, and uh, we see immediately after the Cornelius and Peter story the shift to Antioch. So let's, let's read uh, uh, here from uh, Acts 11, 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, now pause here, he's giving us some review. Remember when Stephen died and the persecution happened? He's just saying, this happened a few years ago. Okay, so he's catching us up. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the, the Hellenists or the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus. In other words, they're preaching to Gentiles, not just Jews. It's a big deal, just like Peter was. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, remember Saul, Saul's been on hiatus, remember? Saul, Paul, he is, he's disappeared. He's been there for like 10 years, right? When he found him, he brings him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It's a very important development here. Essentially, here's what we have. And this is a, such, a, such a huge thing. The epicenter of the church is now not in Jerusalem anymore. 
That's a big deal. Uh, Antioch is not in Israel. It's in Syria. So you have massive amounts of new converts. We have a major leader in Barnabas going there and, and, and that becoming his launching point. We have Paul, the new uh, uh, up-and-coming leader of the church uh, in Antioch as well. You have all of this stuff happening and people gravitating toward this new place. Now, Antioch is a huge multicultural city. It was one of the biggest cities in the entire Roman Empire. Uh, and it was 300 miles north. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not in, in Israel. So this, this, like I say, is a really big deal. And it's different even than the initial like scattering that took place um, with the, you know, in the Old Testament. Because then people still returned to Jerusalem for feast days. That's where, the, you know, the temple was and all that when it was rebuilt. So now, though, it's different because if you are a Gentile believer in Jesus, you actually have no need of the temple. You have no need of sacrifice, uh, you know, the burnt offerings of the Old Testament. The veil, remember, was torn. The presence of God was loose. So you no longer had to go back to Jerusalem. And this is something really unique about our faith that I think it's easy to take for granted, or it, maybe we don't even realize it. Uh, we're, we're like the only faith like this. So we don't have a very, we don't have like a special language that you have to speak in order to understand the scriptures. We don't have to have a certain bloodline in order to be accepted into the family of God. And because it, 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 you know, Jesus transcends all of that. And, and now we see he transcends geography as well. You don't have to be in one specific place to be in the extra special place of God. It's all special now. We're mobile temples. You see what a big deal this is? This is why we, we can be all over the world. We have our, our, our dear brother, George Nita, walking through the jungles of his native Papua New Guinea and saying, hey, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And he t tell them right there all about who he is, and they can be accepted right there. They don't have to get on a plane and go anywhere. They don't have to change the language they speak in order to speak the scriptures. Or any of these things, they are accepted right there. A powerful, powerful moment in the history of the church. So this was a, this was a big deal. My point is, something really amazing happened that, that day with Peter and Cornelius that changed everything. It was, it was huge. It was a massive breakthrough. But that breakthrough, you guys, was a long time coming. A long time coming. See, it happened suddenly, but it didn't happen suddenly because God was working up to it. Remember how Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a, a mustard seed and it grows into a big tree? It's easy to think of that just in terms of the fact that it starts little and it gets big. And it starts little and becomes a blessing to, to many. But there's another part of that metaphor <laughs> that is a little uncomfortable, and it's this. Trees take a really long time to grow. And I don't like that. The kingdom of God grows slowly. And sometimes you don't even perceive that it's growing until there's a sudden breakthrough. It's, it's sort of like the sidewalks in Junction City. <laughs> you know, when I, when I first came here, I visited here 21 years ago, um, with Jeff and a group from Texas. And I, I was like, these sidewalks are like buckling all over the place. In fact, my dear wife here was, was pregnant at the time and she tripped one day when she was here and was all worried. She was, oh my goodness, she tripped on these, side, these buckling sidewalks. By, by the way, today is our 23rd anniversary. I'm gonna pose. <laughs> Happy anniversary. 
I hadn't even seen her this morning. All right, so where was I? The sidewalks. Okay. I, I was like, what in the world? And of course, it's because of the trees and the roots, right? But the trees are growing slowly, and that, there's no problem whatsoever, and the roots are growing slowly. But, but every day underneath is the roots like, yeah, this is a good spot, <laughs> right? And more rain. Oregon, we get a, we get a little bit of rain here, and, and it just and it is every day more and more pressure until it's like, boom, just buckles. That's like the kingdom of God. <laughs> you don't, you're like waiting, you're wanting a big breakthrough, but the kingdom of God doesn't work like a jackhammer. It, looked, it works like a tree growing slowly. Most of the time, he grows slowly. Even in the suddenlies, it takes time. In this case, with the Jews and the Gentiles, think about this, you guys. The promise of this moment was planted way back in the Old Testament. The prophets kept looking toward the future when, when it's a universal kingdom. They, they, the seed took root when Jesus himself came, the one who would be a light to the Gentiles, as Simeon said. And Jesus showed how to love people like centurions and Samaritans and gave great promise. And then he, he gave a command that the gospel be preached everywhere to every nation. The tree began to grow. The roots began to grow. And then came Pentecost, when people from all of these different regions heard the gospel in their own language. The roots push up. Then there comes the persecution they scatter to all these different regions and are preaching to these people, primarily Jews, but they're preaching on different soil and, and they're having great success. They go to Samaria and they find success when even this crazy magician, Peter, uh, 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 Simon the sorcerer, meets Jesus. See, those roots are growing. And then to the south, when you have this Ethiopian eunuch who would never have been included for a multitude of reasons, and he accepts Jesus and is baptized. The roots grow, the roots grow. And then, and then we, get to, we get to Peter and Cornelius when finally the crack comes. It was a long time coming. To the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You guys, God plays the long game. He's not in a hurry, but I gotta be honest, I wish he was. Because while we wait for him to break through in this world in a multitude of ways, a lot of stuff happens. A lot of really hard stuff happens. With this in mind, I want to read this next story. <clears throat> it's one of the last we'll see in Jerusalem, but it's really, really a great story, okay? Uh, Acts 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Let's pause here. This, this is James, the son of Zebedee. This is not only one of the original 12 disciples, this was one of the big three, Peter, James, and John. And up until this time, Herod had sort of left the leaders alone. I think he was scared to do anything about it, but finally he works himself up to it and he, he, he arrests him and he kills him with a sword. There's probably beheading. This would have been a huge devastating loss for the church in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and, and he saw that it pleased the Jews, and he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Uh-oh. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, 
delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending, that the, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by the church. This must have been a really intense moment. You've just lost one of your key leaders. You've lost one of the big three. Now here's the second. The most vocal leader yet that the church has ever had has now been arrested, guarded by many, many men. So the church gathers and prays. Now when Herod uh, was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries uh, before the door were guarding the prison. Okay, pause here. Seriously? You see, you see all that, what they have going for him? This is crazy. He's got soldiers all over the place, okay? Uh, a meticulous, ridiculous security. And they, they, they sleep on both sides of him. And he has, he's, he's tied up by two chains. And they have a sentry by this door, a sentry by, this is over-the-top security. Now, you can ask why. Maybe they were afraid that people would come and try to, to rescue him. But I think more likely they were just remembering what happened last time they arrested Peter. Do you remember? I preached about about a month ago. He was there and suddenly uh, overnight they come in to get him and he's not there. And I made this great reference to the Shawshank Redemption. Only like 10 of you guys got the reference, but I was still really proud of myself. Do you remember? <laughs> Actually, I think I may have only did that in second service. Anyway, I digress. I think they remembered that. They're like, hey, last time he was locked up and somehow he got out. We're going to make sure that doesn't happen this time. <laughs> like he's literally, that just, I, I don't know why I never noticed that before. He's literally sleeping between two soldiers and tied in chains. Like you're not getting out of that. Except, behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. Yes. And a light shone in the cell. I think the angel probably had to turn down his dimmer setting because there's a lot of people there sleeping. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up. The chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so. And he, went, or, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was dreaming. When they past the first and second uh, guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for him on its own accord. It just opens. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. In other words, my execution. When he realized this, now remember, this is the middle of the night, okay? When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. This probably was a common place they would go and gather because he, he, he knew to go there. Um, and when he knocked at the door, this is great, he knocks at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer him. That's great that they put Rhoda's name in here because I think she was teased a lot for what happens next. Uh, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but rather ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Like, 
I don't know what happened there. Me and Mark were laughing about this earlier this week. It's like in her joy, she forgot. She's like, oh my gosh, it's Peter, it's Peter, it's Peter, it's Peter. Uh, but she didn't let, <laughs> actually let him in. Nor did they believe her, okay? They didn't believe her. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting, no, it's Peter, it's Peter. I'm telling you, it's Peter. Like Peter's guarded by all of these men. There's no way. And here, one of the, they kept saying, it is his angel. That's a strange statement, isn't it? Well, apparently in Jewish tradition, there was this idea that everyone had a guardian angel, and the guardian angel would take uh, the, the image of the person, the angel guardian. So that was the idea. So they're saying, it can't be Peter. We know he's, he's either dead already or he's going to be executed very soon. So it must be his angel. But Peter just sits there and keeps knocking. Peter continued knocking. Hello? <laughs> he's not calling, actually, because he didn't want to wake up. Um, he uh, continues knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed but motioning them with his hand to be silent. Shh, shh. He, he doesn't know if they know that he's out, right? He, he tells them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he says, tell these things to James. Obviously, it's the other James, probably James, the brother of Jesus. Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. He left Jerusalem. That's quite a story, isn't it? God comes through. Peter is alive. And yet, even in that muted celebration, they have to remember that James is still very much dead. It'd be easy to just like dive in and be so thrilled that, you know, yes, look at God's faithfulness. But I don't think there's a huge celebration. I think there's much relief that Peter is alive. But guys, they've just been dealt a horrible, horrible blow. And this is the, this is the thing. It's like, it's so easy to go all in on something like this and, 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 and not take the whole picture here. The, the fact is the persecution wasn't stopping. It was getting worse. Yes, Peter was saved. Thank you, Lord. Peter was saved in a dramatic way. But times are still very, very dangerous and very difficult. And yet, if we skip down to verse 24, past the death of Herod, which you can read on your own, we see this phrase, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Despite the persecution, the word of God increased and multiplied. Do you see that? The tree keeps growing. The kingdom is expanding. God's church is being built. Jesus Christ is working all things to good. But dear Lord, it's taking a long time. And there's a ton of pain in the waiting. And we're left with the words of the psalmist that have been prayed millions of times down the ages. How long, O Lord? How long? How long? We have awesome victories in life right alongside the most bitter defeats. And that's hard to know what to do with sometimes. We have in this passage the expansion of the church in Antioch and the terrible persecution of the church in Jerusalem. We have miracles for Peter and martyrdom for James. 
We have birthday parties and funeral receptions. We have salvations and we have suicides. We have a maternity ward and we have a cancer ward in the same hospital. This, you guys, is what we mean by the already not yet kingdom. We mean that Jesus has come and the expansion has begun. The tree is growing, but God is playing the long game. He will bring about his purposes in history, but those things don't come with a snap of the finger. I know, I wish, I wish they would, because I'm used to things happening at the snap of a finger, aren't you? I like it when things go quickly. You know one of the things we did as a staff over, that happened over COVID? Very spiritual thing we did. We bought an air fryer for our, for our lunches, for our many chimichangas. And you know how quickly that thing works? It's awesome. It gets all crunchy. It is like, it's just great. I'm used to things happening quickly. That's why I'm very uncomfortable with God playing the long game. Very uncomfortable with it. But he does. Our victories come slowly, and at a, at a, but at a steady pace, like a tree. You know, they, 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 they don't come instantly. They, they come with each sunrise, another sunrise, another sunrise. We have, we have rain now. We have rain and sun, and, and a lot of stuff happens in the meantime. God plays the long game. And you know, it makes me think of that wonderful scene in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's been a little while since I've dropped a C.S. Lewis reference, Joe. He's given me a hard time about it before. End of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Lucy says to Aslan, who of course represents Jesus, she's very sad that, that she has to leave him. And Aslan says to her, don't look sad, we shall meet again soon. Please, Aslan, said Lucy, what do you call soon? And Aslan responds, I call all times soon. <laughs> I hate that so much. <laughs> because it rings so true. I call all times soon. We have no choice but to wait for the tree to grow. So the question is for you and me, how, how do we wait? How do we wait? I struggled this week as I prepared this sermon, you guys, because this was a really hard week for our country. We saw one of the most bloody and horrific events unfold at that elementary school in Texas. And I tried to avoid social media, you know, because it was just too much and everybody goes to their respective corners. Well, you've seen this happen so many times, it's too much to stomach, you know. And eventually, I read, and eventually, and it just made me sick. And I, I feel like things, things have to change, this, but I, I don't know what those things are. I don't know what the answers are, you know? It's, this is a complex issue. And personally, I think everything should be on the table. I think we, we have to pursue solutions, and, and it's multifaceted, it's, it's just laws, it's mental health strategies, all of these things. I don't know, I don't know what the answers are. It is complex. I know we need far more humility and far less partisanship, but I don't know what the answers look like. So what I'm left with, as someone who doesn't have power here, 
to just make things change. What I'm left with is the example of the church in Jerusalem. What did they do? They did not isolate. Rather, they banded together and they prayed. James was dead. Peter was about to be dead. So they came together and they cried out to God. One day, you guys, Jesus is going to return. He's promised to come back and make all things new. No more school shootings. No more bloodshed. No more tears. No more persecution. No more death. And the pain of that promise, the pain of the waiting, just feels really acute sometimes, doesn't it? It feels really acute. As you see those news reports and you're like, I, I, I'm helpless in this situation. There's literally nothing I can, I see this terrible thing unfolding and there's nothing I can do right now. Now I know there's things we can do. I know per- pursuing all of these things I just mentioned is a, is a long haul. But in the moment, I'm powerless just like you. And the pain of the promise of restoration, the pain, the pain of the waiting, it's so easy to bury ourselves in isolation. We can do it through distraction. We can do it through doom scrolling. We can do it in anger towards the other side. These are all forms of isolation. They're just coping mechanisms. And I want to urge you, by the mercies of God, my brothers and sisters, do not isolate. When you isolate, you become as fragile as you feel. You will feel defeated. You will feel hopeless. And I think this in many ways is at the root of our chronic anxiety that we have in our culture right now. People feel such a deep sense of dread in part because they think they have to face all of these horrible things they see on their computers and on the TV. They think they have to face it all on their own. You guys, that's overwhelming. That's overwhelming. You were never supposed to face these things on your own. And I'm not just talking about the things that are far away. I'm talking about the things that are very close. Because some of you guys are going through hell right now. I know what some of you guys are facing. And it is brutal. It is brutal. And some of you guys think that you're supposed to face those things on your own. But I will tell you, you never were supposed to do that. It's too big for you. People talk so much about feeling fragile and needing a safe place to go. And, but oftentimes it just means a place where they feel like nothing can touch them. And we're in a world and we're, t- we're touched by too many things and there, there does not exist a bubble where nothing can get you. So the only thing to do is to actually come together, to actually be community. Together we can wait properly You guys, the solution is found in community, not in isolation. Together, we have strength. Together, we can outlast tragedy. Together, we can face it all. We can pursue solutions. We can remind one another, this too shall pass. We can remember that God is working beneath the sidewalks. And he will break through. He really will. 
And this is the lesson that I get from the church in Jerusalem in Acts 12. They came together to remind God of his faithfulness, of his promises. They gave him no rest even in the middle of the night. How long, O oh Lord? How long? We have seen you do great things. We've seen you do miracles. We've seen Peter set free. But Lord, we weep for James. We've seen you do beautiful work, Lord, in our nation. But Lord, the children and the families of Rob Elementary School, the violence and the bloodlust of so many in our nation. Those words, how long, oh Lord, that prayer hails back to several places in the scripture, but especially to Psalm 13. And I want to do something this morning. I want to pray it together, communally, as God's people. I want to do this as a, as a lament for, for what's happening and as a, as a, as a cry again for the, for the Lord's rescue. But instead of, of keeping the, the, the pronouns as singular, I want to I pray it plural. I want to turn the eyes into we's and the me's into us. So can we have that song, Dan? Let's stand together. Lord, hear our prayer now. Hear our prayer as we pray the Psalms, as we pray this prayer. Let's do it together. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget us forever? How long will you hide your face from us? How long must we take counsel in our soul and have sorrow in our hearts all day long? How long shall our enemy be exalted over us? Consider and answer me, us, O Lord, our God. Light up our eyes, lest we sleep the sleep of death. Lest our enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest our foes rejoice because we are shaken. But we have trusted in your steadfast love. Our hearts shall rejoice in your salvation. We will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with us. You have been good, O oh Lord. You have dealt bountifully with us. And Lord, we just remind you of your promises. You said you would make all things new. How long, O oh Lord? And we ask for your breakthrough again. We ask that you would heal the gaping wounds of this country. We ask that you would heal us from the scourge of violence. Lord, we need your rescue. We're like Peter. We got no way out of this. We need your rescue. How long, oh Lord, will you wait? Come, Lord Jesus. We call for your return. Come, Lord Jesus. And until you come, we ask that you guide our paths in righteousness, in justice, for your name's sake. I don't know how that looks, Lord but guide us, Jesus, and heal us. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you guys need prayer for anything this morning, I want to invite you to come forward. And uh, thank you, guys. We love you. Let's just keep standing together, okay?